This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Good afternoon and welcome to Word and Praise Radio featuring the sermons from the pulpit of Redeemer Church of Clarkston. I'm Pastor Paul Edwards. Just a little more than two years old, Redeemer Church is the only Reformed Baptist church in Clarkston, Michigan. We meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Sashabal Middle School on Maybe Road between Sashabal Road and Clintonville Road in Clarkston. Our worship services last about 75 minutes. They include public prayer and scripture reading, historic and contemporary hymns, and relevant messages messages from God's Word, just like the ones you're hearing every Sunday right here on Faith Talk 1500. If you're looking for a church where you can broaden your understanding of God's Word, deepen your relationships with God's people, and be a part of reaching a community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you to join us in person for one of our Sunday services. We're committed to the historic Christian faith. Redeemer also has a full Bible teaching time for your elementary age children. You can learn more about our church, including directions and service times, at Redeemer. Clarkston.com. How do we live out our faith in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity? This was the very question the first century Christians faced, and Peter addressed it with practical answers in his first epistle. So I invite you to get your Bible and join the congregation of Redeemer Church of Clarkston in the first epistle of Peter as we examine how to live life together in a hostile culture. is writing this letter as we've made known now for more than a year and a half as we've worked our way through it. He's writing this to persecuted believers in the first century who are living in the identical culture that you and I are living in. It's what makes this letter so relevant. And now in chapter 4, verse 7, uh, he really begins to zero in on the, the remedy for living in a hostile culture. And he gives to us some strategies for life together in a hostile culture. And in these verses, 7 through 11, these five verses of 1 Peter 4, Peter identifies two main strategies, two main strategies for survival, Christian survival, in a culture that is hostile to God, to His Word, to His commandments, and to all that He is about. He says in verse number 7 that the first strategy is, at the end of the verse, to take hold of God. If we are going to survive in a culture that is hostile to everything that we believe, we must first of all take hold of God. And you see that at the end of verse 7, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The second strategy is unfolded in the next four verses, in verses 8 through 11, and that is, having taken hold of God, we must then take hold of one another. Very simple, but very difficult. Two strategies for surviving in a hostile culture, take hold of God and take hold of one another. 
two main things are involved in taking hold of God. Number one, you must have a mind that is controlled not by fleshly passions, but by the Holy Spirit. This is what he means when he says, be sober and watch unto prayer. Sober and watch both refer to the mind. So the first thing that has to happen is you have to have a mind. If you're going to take hold of God in a hostile culture, in a culture that's hostile to God, you have to have a mind that is not controlled by your passions or by the passions of the world, but rather is totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, taking hold of God involves an earnest seeking for God in prayer. Now, for this morning, we're only going to deal with the first of those. A mind not controlled by fleshly passions, not controlled by the passions of the culture, but a mind that is totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the first time in this letter to these persecuted Christians in the first century, it's not the first time that Peter has mentioned the mind. If you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter and verse number 13... He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your what? Gird up the loins of your mind, be what? Sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Girding up the loins of your mind, and it's an interesting Greek word, By the way, the word mind is never used the same way twice. It's never the same Greek word in 1 Peter. The word here is dianoia. Gird up the loins of your dianoia. Dianoia, noia is mind, dia is through, through the mind. And what it means is your actual thinking. Gird up the loins of your actual thinking. Now, what does gird up the loins mean? Well, that's an an old first century term, everybody that he's writing to would understand it, because they were all wearing long clothes, robe-type clothes. And so to keep from being tripped up on the road, men and women both would yank up uh, the the hem of, of their garment and tie it with a rope and gird it so that they wouldn't get tripped up in the road. Peter uses that metaphor, that visual, for the people of his day, And what he's saying is, don't let your thinking trip you up. Make certain that your thinking doesn't trip you up. Then he uses the word, uh, again, mind. It's translated mind in in the authorized version and in really all of your modern translations, I'm assuming. Chapter 3, verse number 8. Finally, be all of one mind. One mind. Okay, so in chapter 1, verse 13, the word mind is dianoia, which means the thinking process. Don't get tripped up in your thinking process. Take control of your thoughts and don't let your thoughts control you. Don't get tripped up. Here, he speaks to the entire body of Christ and he says you all need to be of one mind. And the Greek word here is homophron. Homophron. Fron meaning to process the thoughts, and to reach a conclusion, homo meaning like or one. So, what what he's saying here is, when he says, be ye all of one mind, he's saying, have a mind together that is in agreement, and the agreement is on who God is. 
And we unpacked that when we preached this text several months ago as well. We have to have agreement together in the body of Christ on who God is. And then the other time that this word mind is used is in chapter 4 and verse number 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same what? Mind. And we just preached on that recently. The Greek word here is enoia. Enoia. Arm yourselves with the same mind. Enoia is intent. The only other time this Greek word enoia is used is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and what? Intents of the heart. Enoia. Intention. And so when he says, arm yourselves with the same mind as Christ, he means intend to suffer in this hostile culture the same way Christ did, and you won't be surprised when it happens. If you intend to live like Christ, intend to suffer like Christ. If they hated him, they'll hate you. So, intent. The taking hold of God involves, first and foremost, getting our minds in the right place. Getting our minds in the right place is not merely a matter of mind over matter. It's not merely a matter of saying, I'm going to believe and I'm going to convince myself in my thinking that things really aren't all that bad. And this is what Peter is getting at in 1 Peter chapter 4 at the end of verse 7 when he says, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Those two words, sober and watch, both have to do with the mind. Your mind, the way you think. Sober, we all know what sober means. It means the same thing then as it does now. Free from intoxicating substances. Free from things that will make your mind not work the way it ought to work. In other words, when you're inebriated, when you are not sober, you are under the control of an outside substance, right? Sober means to free yourself of anything from outside that is going to control you. Soberness is passive. Be sober. Sober is your passions in a state of control. Sober is when you are under control with your passions. Watch is active. To watch is the action required to keep your passions in a sober state. Your passions will always war against soberness. And so in order to keep yourself sober and to keep your passions in check... You must watch. Soberness is the state that you are in when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by your own passions. Watching is the effort that God expects you to make, obviously through His grace, to keep yourself that way. And it's very vitally important. If you and I are going to survive in a hostile culture, the first thing that must happen is we have to let Go of our passions. Taking hold of God requires that the first thing you do is let go of yourself. Taking hold of God. You cannot hold on to God 
and hold on to your own desires, your own passions, your own lusts. Soberness means getting control of your passions. How does that happen? Number one, a dispassionate mind is a formerly darkened mind which has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Remember when I said earlier that this mind is not a matter of mind over matter. It's not a matter of you convincing yourself that the bad things that are happening to you are not really happening to you or allowing the bad things that happen to you to affect you and to distress you and to perplex you and to cause you to be cast down and then you just think positive thoughts. Peter here is not saying just think positively through the bad things that are happening to you. No, there is, there is a supernatural work that God does outside of us has nothing to do with us has nothing to do with our thinking, has nothing to do with our desires. God, in His sovereignty, does a supernatural work to cause our minds to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Without that control, the Bible says you have a darkened mind. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul or Peter read Paul. We know that because in 2 Peter, he says that Paul wrote things that are hard to understand. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm absolutely confident that Peter would have read this letter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in what? The vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, heart is another word for mind, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So much of that is right there in our text in in 1 Peter chapter 4. Gentiles mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 lasciviousness mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2 or verse 3. Where does all that come from? Where does this lascivious behavior come from? Lasciviousness, by the way, is simply lewd behavior. It's the darkened mind manifesting itself in lewd behavior. A person who has not yet had the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shine in unto them has an Uh, has their understanding darkened, verse 18, Ephesians 4, and they are alienated from the life of God. That's what it means to have a darkened mind. It's a vain mind like the unbelieving Gentiles. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, Excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's what a darkened mind looks like. A darkened mind does whatever it wants to do. A darkened mind does whatever a darkened mind wants to do without regard to the consequences. Peter and Paul are both saying the same thing. The only way to overcome a darkened mind is by what Jonathan Edwards called a divine and supernatural light immediately imparted to the soul by the Spirit of God. 
It takes a supernatural act of God working outside of you to give you the mind of Christ and to give you a mind that has its passions under control. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Again, Paul uh, writing to the, the church at Colossae. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your what? Mind by wicked works. There's the lasciviousness, the greediness. You that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. An enlightened mind evidences itself in a holy lifestyle contrasted with the darkened mind that evidences itself in a lascivious or lewd lifestyle. See the contrast? Peter's making that contrast. Paul is making that contrast. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. This is the description of the enlightened mind. Okay, so what does a darkened mind look like? A darkened mind looks like lasciviousness, rioting, banquetings, revelings, 1 Peter 4, 3, Ephesians chapter 4, it, it, it looks like you just being out of control with your passions and letting your passions rule you, letting your passions do whatever. However, when an enlightened mind comes upon you, when the Spirit of God working through the Word of God enlightens your mind, lasciviousness and greed and lust is replaced by three other things. Verse 18 of Ephesians 1, uh, hope, glory, 19... Power, the hope of his calling, the glory of his inheritance, and the power of his resurrection. So the enlightened mind, the contrast between the enlightened mind, the difference between the enlightened mind and the darkened mind, is that the darkened mind is constantly being controlled by its own passions. It lives for the moment. If it feels good, do it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It lives just to fulfill its own lusts and its own passions. Your desires are the focal point. The enlightened mind, once the light, and we read this in 2 Corinthians 4 this morning, didn't we? Once the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines into a darkened mind, that mind is then illumined, and you are no longer controlled by your passions. You are controlled by the hope of your calling the glory of your inheritance, and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those three things are what you operate from now. Now you're not simply responding to the hostile culture from your lust, from your passion. You are responding to a hostile culture with the knowledge of God that there is hope, there is a future glory, And it's all based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The culture can do its worst to me. They can can do the very worst that could be done to me. They can take my life from me, but they can't take my life from me 
because I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price, and Christ in me is the hope of glory. And even if they take my life, God will do what he did for, he'll do for me what he did for his son, Jesus. He'll raise me from the dead. He'll vindicate me. That's our hope. That's the way a mind, the, the mind of God uh, or, or the, the, the mind that is uh, controlled by the Spirit operates. But let me make it clear again. A darkened mind can only be illuminated by the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus, God, working through the word by the Holy Spirit, gives, gives, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want your mind to be illuminated, your mind must be saturated, baptized in, bathed in the Word of God. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. Everything I need to know I learned in Sunday school. We've had that verse memorized all our lives, haven't we? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What is the sin that David is talking about? Not trusting him in the face of difficulty. Turning to my own passions in the face of difficulty rather than trusting God. And so, to have a dispassionate mind is to have your formerly darkened mind illuminated by the power of the Spirit of God who gives you light and moves your thoughts from your passions to hope and glory and resurrection. Secondly, a dispassionate mind is a mind on defense against two enemies of your soul. Once your mind has been enlightened, it becomes dispassionate. What do I mean by dispassionate? No longer controlled by your passions. It is now controlled by the Spirit of God. And a dispassionate mind, a mind that is controlled by the Spirit of God, is fully aware that there are two things that are against me. Number one, Peter identifies in chapter 2 of 1 Peter and verse number 11. When he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The first enemy of your soul is your own passion, your own lust. Lust here isn't being used primarily in a sexual sense. Lust here is anything you desire more than God. Lust in your Bible is anything you desire more than God. Anything you seek satisfaction from besides God is a lust, and it comes from your flesh. And Peter here says, if you're going to be a stranger and pilgrim in a hostile culture, if you're going to live like God's people in a hostile culture, your mind has to be freed from its own passions and its own desires. We don't operate from our own passions. We operate from the Spirit of God. He says in chapter 1 and verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, you be holy. So the objective here is holiness, letting go of our passions so that the Spirit of God can work holiness in us. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. And he gives the illustration of, uh, of Jesus as a way 
not to use your own passions in response to unjust suffering. He does that in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Who did no sin, talking about Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So Peter in 2.11 is saying, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. What's he saying? Resist the temptation to respond to evil with evil. Resist the temptation to get vengeance on those who have treated you unjustly. Don't let your passions control your reaction to the hostile culture. Let the Spirit of God control your passions. And when, you're, when your passions are under the control of the Spirit of God... You can commit yourself to him who judges righteously. Don't trade the vindication of God for the validation of men. In the midst of difficulty, in the, when you're being mistreated unjustly because of your Christian faith, if you're not careful, your fleshly passions will rise to the top and say, you can't treat me this way. No. What, what do you do if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit? God's going to get the last word on this. I hope this message has been an encouragement and a help to you as you seek to serve Jesus in the routine of your life. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at our website, RedeemerClarkston.com, and you can also send me a personal confidential email at paul at RedeemerClarkston.com, and I'll respond with some personal words of encouragement. Word and Praise Radio is an extension of the ministry of the church that I pastor, Redeemer Church of Clarkston, Michigan. More information about our church, like our doctrinal statement and our governing documents, are available to you at our website at RedeemerClarkston.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen on this Lord's Day, and we invite you to tune in again next Sunday at 12.30 p.m. as we once again turn our hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ in word and praise. 